Hello again, Southwest. This is Mark Compton with the Adult Education Ministry, uh, and we are again building on uh, the great work that's being done in the children's ministry uh, for this uh, study called D6. Uh, and D6 is an integrated study, which consists of booklets and magazines, uh, which allows families to come together, to worship together, to study the Bible together over a specific set of scriptures each week. Uh, and we're providing support uh, for the adults uh, in this study as well, because it provides us a great format for working through the Bible over the next three years uh, as we study some of the different passages. We've worked through a lot already, and now we're back in Genesis. And today's study is entitled Bank on It. Uh, and it is it comes from Genesis 12, 1 through 9, and a little bit from 15, 1 through 6. Although I'm not going to get much into chapter 15 today, as I'm going to use that as we begin to pivot into chapter 22 next week, uh, and I'll be here teaching again. Uh, but I'm going to tie in a, a good portion of 15 with the study on Genesis 22 about Abram uh, and Isaac. But the phrase bank on it, that's the title for today, uh, today's study in Genesis 12. And what do you think of when you hear the phrase bank on it? To me, it's it's a phrase that evokes confidence. Sounds like a sure thing. There's some trusting and some expectation, I think, that comes when you hear that phrase. And hopefully there's a calming to that. At times we might be cynical when we hear that phrase because of the way that phrase has been used throughout time and in society. But when I hear the phrase bank on it, when the source of that phrase is God, it's one less thing for me to worry about. And maybe that's the context in which we should think about that phrase today. But think about this as well. Does the person saying it matter? Absolutely. It goes to the history we have with that person, the experience we have with that person, the test of time. If someone tells us bank on it and every time they follow through and carry it out and it's taken care of, then the next time they say bank on it, it brings us that confidence. It brings us that calm, that trusting, that expectation of permanence or a guarantee that it will be done as it's been spoken. It's that test of time. And our Texas week is, like I said, is Genesis 12, and we're going to spend the majority of our time there. And let me be clear, God didn't use the phrase bank on it. So that doesn't come from anything uh, within these verses here today, but it's a phrase that the D6 study has come up with to entitle this section, and I, I like it. But it's about how God made promises to Abraham that as we see throughout Abram's life and throughout time, it changed Abraham's life and mindset. Additionally, God has made and continues to make promises to us that can and has changed our lives and mindset for those who walk with God. Now, using the D6 material a little bit, I'm going to tie in 
to the emphasis this week and just provide you with some of the emphasis that it's important, I think, to take away from this passage, especially if you're teaching your kids about this. First, God promises blessings to those who trust and obey him. Second, God reassures those who trust him. And third, we are saved by faith. One more that I would add to this stack is we are not alone. And God calls us home to be with him and in his presence. So let's dig in, starting in Genesis eleven twenty six through verse 12 through verse 9 of chapter 12. I'm going to be reading today. I'm going to be using the voice translation. I really like the vividness of it for these passages. Starting in verse 26 of chapter 11. When Terah had lived 70 years, he had fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Here's the account of Terah's descendants. Terah, as he said, had fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. While Terah was still alive, Haran died in the same land in which he was born, in Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. However, Abram and Nahor lived on and married Abram's wife and married. Abram's wife was named Sarah, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. Now Milcah was the daughter of Haran, who fathered both Milcah and Iscah. But Sarah couldn't conceive and didn't have a child. Terah took his son Abram and grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, Abram's wife, they left Ur of the Chaldeans together and traveled in the direction of the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Haran, they settled there. Terah was 205 years old at that time, and he ended up dying in Haran. One day, the Eternal One called out to Abram, Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home and travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants, and I am going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey, and I'll trip up those who try to trip you up along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessing in you. Without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took with him his wife, Sarah, his brother's son, Lot, all of their possessions and all of the persons they had acquired for their household while in Haran, and they all set off toward the land of Canaan. When they reached Canaan, Abram kept going through it to a sacred place called Shechem, where the Oak of Morah stood. At this time, the Canaanite people were living on this land, so Abram could not take it as his own. There the Eternal appeared to Abram. I am going to give this land to your future generations. So out of honor and respect, there Abram built an, an altar table to the Eternal One, who had appeared to him and spoken these words of promise. After that, Abram traveled on to the hill country east of Bethel, and there he pitched a tent and made a home for himself and his family between Bethel and in the west, and Ai in the east. Here, Abram built another altar table for the Eternal One, where he called upon the name of the Eternal frequently. Then Abram journeyed south toward the Negev region. In the middle of what seems to be a simple family and news report are some dramatic things, and maybe you heard those. 
Abram is an amazing example of faith. An amazing example of faith walking, I would even say. And what God's hand in his life looked like. Abram, and later on known as Abraham, is a reassuring and hopeful story for us. Let me back up to his father, Terah, and some of the sequence here in 1126. Terah has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran dies after having a son, and that son is Lot. And we know a little bit, if you've studied and worked through the Bible at all, of Abram and Lot and that relationship. But Abram and Naor both took wives. Abram had Sarah and Naor had Milcah. And they all lived in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, a tangent on Chaldea. And I'm going to lean on Adam Clark here, one of the commentators I like to read. So this area of Chaldea sometimes refers to all of Babylonia. At other times, it's just the area near the Arabian Desert. But the capital of this area, the capital of Chaldea, the capital of what we might call Babylonia, was Babylon. And Babylon in Isaiah 13, 19 was called the beauty of the Chaldeans excellency or the pride of the Chaldeans. So Babylon as a city is seen as the pride of this group of people. Now, Ur's location is not specifically known, but historically it appears to be a city of considerable consequence. Ur is named as such to represent the inhabitants. And so the name Ur actually connotes worshipers of fire. So this group of people living in Ur were known to be worshipers of fire. So you can see they were not worshipers of God, the God we know, the God that Abraham knows, the God that Terah imparted and shared with his son, Abram. But they were worshipers of fire. So sometimes cities and areas get known as things. And in this case, this city was known as consisting of worshipers of fire. Additionally, predominantly those dwelling in Ur consisted of either priests or astronomers. And in the time of Daniel, all astrologers referred to as Chaldeans. So, Daniel, if you knew an astrologer, you called them Chaldeans because most likely an astrologer or a study a studier of astronomy began their time of study and moved into other places from Chaldea. So why in the world did I take you on this strange fact journey? First, I wanted to give you a sense that the place they left, it was robust. It was thriving. It was full of educated people, and it was a powerful place. Second, I wanted to provide you a sense of what they left to go to Canaan. See, what we'll see here in a few minutes or a few verses, and you probably heard this, but Abram and Terah actually initiated it, but they, they began to step away from the area they were in into another area, but the area they were in was known. It was comfortable. It was something in which they had spent some amount of time. But Abram pulls his group and leaves to go to an uncertain area, an area of Canaan. 
So at the beginning of chapter 12, Terah has died, and Abram and Lot have settled where Terah stopped on their way to Canaan in a place called Haran, not a place that their brother had found. Because you remember, the brother's name was Haran. It's just, I guess, a coincidence in the naming of this, or we don't know a lot, or I didn't dig up anything on the history of the connection between the son Haran and the, the town Haran. But they were on their way to Canaan, and they stopped and settled in Haran, and Terah died there. And then God then calls Abram, and he essentially says, keep going. Don't stay here in Haran where your father died, where your father stopped, but keep moving. And I'll show you, but I'll show you where I want you to go, but head towards Canaan. Now, the Hebrew phrase here is God makes this call doesn't, I don't think comes quite, doesn't quite come through in the translations. The phrase is leklaha or leklaho. It's spelled L-E-C-H and then L-E-C-H-A, leklaha, leklaho. And it means go for thyself. Now, this phrase is remarkable because it, it has a remarkable connotation to it and Clark captures it and retranslates it here for us. So leklaha, go for thyself, means if none of the family will accompany thee, go for thyself unto that land which I will show thee. So I had missed this. Because as, as you read it, it's just say, Abram, get up and go, leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home and travel the land I will show you. But it goes even further in the Hebrew language here, leklaha means Abram leave even if nobody goes with you leave even if family and I'm not talking external family I'm talking wife your your employees all the people that you've you've built up around that are in your tribe I call them employees but everyone that's there that's you've gathered together even if no one else wants to go I want you to go go for thyself. It's a powerful call. Now, everyone came with him, which is a testament to Abram's ability to convince people once again to pick up and leave. I know we stopped here. We stopped here for some good reason. Dad was here. Dad died here. But now we're going to go on. And the reason we're going to go on is because God told me to go on. Now, I think three important points here in these first several verses of chapter 12 is God provides basic instructions of direction. Very basic. He says, go. He says, go towards Canaan. So the second thing, he doesn't provide a specific destination. Rather, he says, I'll show you. So go towards Canaan and I'll show you where I want you to end up. And then God gives them assurances of the following. He says, you'll be blessed, you'll be protected, and then you'll be a blessing to all of humanity. So again, I want to reread these verses here in verses one through three and let you capture some of what I just said. Again, God providing basic instruction to direction to go. God doesn't provide a specific destination. He says, I'll show you. And then God gives them assurances. Assurances of being blessed, assurances of being protected, and assurances of being a blessing to all of humanity. 
Verse 1, one day the Eternal One calls out to Abram, Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home, and travel the land I will show you. Leklaha. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants. And I'm going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey. And I'll trip up those who try to trip you up along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessing in you. Powerful and great implications and great lessons for us. I also want to note this in verse 4. Without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the eternal one asked him to do. Now, one last thing I noticed in here that had an impact on me as I studied this this week is you might have caught this when I was reading at the beginning in the final verses of 7 and 8. As Abram went and arrived and received the land from God, he built altars. Listen again here in verse 7. So out of honor and respect, there Abram built an altar table to the Eternal One, who had appeared to him and spoken these words of promise. And then further down, it says, After that, he travels the hill country east of Bethel. He pitches a tent, makes a home for himself and his family between Bethel and Ai. And then it says, here Abram built another altar table for the Eternal One, where he called upon the name of the Eternal frequently. See, I think along our way in life, we need to establish a place of thankfulness, ways to praise God specifically for the things he does for us. I love Abram's spirit of thankfulness, and I think he sets a standard and a fantastic example for us. And I already said this, but I love the capture at the end of verse 8, where the voice translation says that Abram called upon God frequently. Now, I've gone, I've gone too long today, or I'm fixing to go too long, but I love digging into the history and the story around the story. And I didn't get to uh, chapter 15 like I said I would. But I did, I did say that I would try to catch this next week as we bridge across into uh, the study in chapter 22 of Genesis. But in that chapter, God adds more specificity and scope to his promise to Abram. And I encourage you to read that this week, at least the first six verses of chapter 15, or maybe even more. But let's recap. Like with Abram, I think God calls us to go. And we need to be listening and heeding those promptings through the Spirit. Second, God will show us as we go. We don't need all the answers and the exact shape of our future. But that is so hard, isn't it? Because we want to know the future. We want to know the exact shape of that. But even in Abram's case, God simply just told him to go, and I will show you. So we don't need to know all of the answers. God will show us as we go. Third, God blesses us and protects us. 
and he allows our lives to bless and lift others up. And our response should be like Abram's, and that's to move without hesitation into God's plan and to offer frequent and constant thanks to him. Now, let me just leave you with verse 6 of chapter 15. Abram believed God and trusted in his promises, so God counted it to his favor as righteousness. Thank you for listening today, and may God's voice be clear and your response decisive. And may God count your belief and your trust in his promises as righteousness for you. This is Mark Compton for D6 Adults. I'll be back with you next week. The title's Tried and Tested from Genesis 22. And again, we'll start in Genesis, 20, in Genesis 15 to knit the story together. Have a great week of study. We'll talk to you then.